This is The Guardian. Today, through fields where any wrong step could mean death, how Ukraine finally broke through Russian lines. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we start, a heads up. This episode is about war and contains some pretty gory descriptions of injuries. So please listen with care. It's been a bloody summer in Ukraine. The country is waging an offensive to claim back its territory. And progress has been slow for many reasons. One of them is a weapon littering the front line in astonishing numbers. Minefields so large they could cover entire countries. Daniel Boffy, The Guardian's chief reporter, has been spending time with the mine-clearing units, or sappers, who have one of the most dangerous jobs in the country. So we drove with a military escort for a number of hours deep into Donetsk, which is the southeastern region, where a lot of fighting is going on. And we came to a military base where various soldiers were firing off their own weapons, testing them out. So, uh, so... Here is a, here is a mine. Oh my God. Look, here are the mines, yeah? yeah? The main, yeah, yeah. the mines. The Russian incoming fire was constant. I never find it normal to hear the Russian guns sort of that booming. It's kind of a rolling thunder, kind of run. It sort of feels like it's coming closer and closer. So the extent of the mining is something that no one has ever seen in any previous war. So they're coming across 10 miles deep minefields. They're coming across five mines in every square metre of territory. I mean, no one of fact. Every, everywhere is mined. Everywhere. Everything is mined. Let's stay here and you will see. The toll of Ukrainian casualties from trying to break through these minefields is an official secret but everyone knows it's high. The Russians thought these defences were virtually unbreakable. And then, a few days ago, a Guardian correspondent, Emma Graham Harrison, sat down for an interview with a Ukrainian general, and she learned the Russians were wrong. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, why Ukraine's offensive stalled, and why now it's on the march again. Dan, for the past months, Ukrainian soldiers have been pushing against the country's front line with Russian soldiers, trying to find a weak point that they can break through, pour in troops and tanks, and use to liberate its territory from Russian control. But as we've reported before, that hasn't been working. People like the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, claimed it just took too long for Ukraine to receive the weapons and equipment that it needed. We gave a lot of time for Russians. We gave a lot of time to prepare to mine, to, to put the mines in, to put the mines on the fields and on the big territory. What's the scale of mining that we're talking about here? 
Yeah, so Ukraine is now the most heavily landmined country in the world. Wow. Something like 174,000 square kilometers, which is kind of roughly equivalent twice the size of Portugal. God, that's incredible. It is, and it's 10 miles deep at points. Well, tell, tell me about them. What are the kinds of mines that Ukrainian troops and vehicles are having to contend with? I mean, it, it's kind of a special sort of evil to think of to think of how they've created these things. Um, so we have the, the lightweight butterfly mines, which you can't see because it's little green things, and they kind of you wouldn't even even notice if they laid around in your house, let alone in a in a forest. So Russians, they covered ground by butterfly small yeah. small butterfly mines. They, they knew that this surface yeah. is ground yeah. is uh, covered yeah. and he didn't spot uh, this butterfly yeah. line and he still lost his, he lost his uh, foot just uh, uh, just foot and then you've got these ones called pom threes which are the, the ones that the, the ukrainians fear the most and what these are blasted into the air in a rocket and then this mine lands on a little parachute and then settles on spring-loaded legs I mean, it's kind of, it's just, it looks evil. Mm. And what happens, it just, it rests there. They, they ping out little sort of gossamer-thin actual tripwires. And as soon as somebody triggers this mine, it leaps up to chest high and will send 1,875, I think was the number, of, of what they call fragments. What they look like is just razors, sharp razors with serrated edges. Every sensor is from the mine nine and a half meters. Yeah. And this mine is covered... Six, uh, 16 square meters, every mine can cover. And uh, you'll never survive uh, from this uh, yeah. mine. What kind of toll is this level of mining having on the Ukrainian army? I think, I mean, the, the, the Ukrainians don't provide any information about casualties, and I think that in itself tells a lot. I think that the losses are huge. I went to Dnipro regional hospital to speak to the, the chief doctor there about what they were facing and he, he was saying that every day they have 50 to 100 very heavily wounded soldiers coming in but the problem is that the immediate medical aid given on the front line is very well it's very quick it's very rough and it often doesn't do much to save a leg if, if there's any leg to be saved the wounds from mine are particularly horrendous because it creates you know awful complex fractures and forces up clothing and mud and dirt into the wounds. So the wounds get infected very, very quickly. I mean, the, the mines are designed not just to kill a soldier or to maim a soldier. They're, they're designed so that a soldier will be out there in a field dying or maimed and that others will have to come and rescue him. And so that they will then step on the mines as well or they'll make themselves available to be hit with artillery fire. So mines are, yeah, it's particularly awful... Mm. Awful piece of weaponry. God, that is so shocking. I mean, you know war is cruel, but to hear that there's a weapon designed to work that way just feels like it shocks you all over again. So, Dan, how do you fight something like this? I mean, you said that you spent time with sappers. How do they operate? Unfortunately, because, I mean, the, the West have provided a decent number of machines that could just roll over the lines. But the problem is that on the front line, these machines are pretty useless because the Russians can just blow them up. They're, they're very slow moving. I've seen them in action. They're extremely slow moving and they're just a prime target. So it has to come down to the brave men and women. It has to come down to them. They're becoming uh, targets and Russians always start 
to shell yeah. them. Тому що сапер це ціль, що офіцер. Йому брати сапера, щоб сапер is very important yeah. target for Russians yeah. to to kill officer and sapper is the same yeah. for Russians. Yeah. And they could sort of wear all the heavy uniform, the, the heavy kit, the masks and the, the heavy flat jackets and all the rest of it. But again, that's pretty useless on the front line because you need to be nimble. So all that heavy stuff is no good. So they're actually wearing quite light flat jackets and helmets. Pretty standard issue. Nothing that I wouldn't be wearing. You know, I'm wearing the same sort of stuff. So not even a, not even a face guard or anything like that. And they are on their hands and knees with a kind of a metal probe and have a ruler and they prod the ground, the topsoil, every five centimetres. They go across, across the ruler with the prod and just gently tap the topsoil to see if they hear any metal. Then they move the ruler up about five centimetres and do it again, prodding with a, with a metal rod. God, you'd have to be prodding so gently because obviously if you prod too hard, prod in the wrong place, like... Absolutely. I mean, it just absolutely terrifying. Yeah, horrendous. I had the impression that they went out a little bit like Jeremy Renner in The Hurt Locker, like dressed up like the Michelin Man, somewhat protected from what was going to happen. But I'm, I'm really shocked to hear you say that they go out dressed in the same stuff that, that you were wearing. Do they have any kind of equipment that provides them protection against these mines? Yeah, I, mean, I, I found it astonishing how little protective equipment they have on them. Um, but I suppose, you know, they do need to keep nimble um, and all that stuff for the movies doesn't really work in reality when you're under fire. There is bits of equipment they desperately do need. They're these single spider boots. Basically, like you're walking on tripods, these plastic things. Yes, they call the spider boots. Yeah. But these boots can save their a foot. But, yeah, but uh, two guys have lost their uh, foot, all the mines. And, and these special uh, boots can save their le- leg, foot and life. Yeah. And they've only got one pair between... 13 of them. And so when they actually find a mine, what do they do about it then? So the metal rod hits something, something hard, a little flag with a little M on it, and then they set to work, dig around it, create margins so they they make sure that there aren't further mines are sort of very close to it, and then they stick a load of TNT on it. It's it's kind of really pretty basic stuff. You would expect maybe they'll kind of somehow unload the explosive or something like that. But no, they they just got to blow the thing up. So they stick a little TNT on the top of it. Hmm. They have a fuse. They walk away. They've got ninety seconds to get away from from that mine before it'll explode. How far away do they have to go in those ninety seconds? I asked that question, and the response was uh, as far away as possible, yeah. as far as far as you can run. <laughs> as far as you can run. Minimum sto Alexander Slesa, the uh, Ukrainian sapper who was talking me through his, his work on the front line, he shared a load of videos of him and his colleagues setting a few off. I mean, Dan, two things strike me about that video. One is the gap between the explosion and then the earth raining down on these men. The second thing is to hear them laughing, like the fact that they can take some kind of humour in what's happened. Was that pretty common? Yeah, I think you have to be pretty sanguine about death. You know, you have to accept that 
it could come for you at any time and there's no point in in worrying about it that's absolutely what you know, drone operators or the ones who are being particularly targeted and the ones who are in particularly dangerous places you have to laugh at the the madness of it i mean it sounds like these are the people who are making it possible for ukraine to advance forward albeit like centimeter by centimeter yeah and i think you could there was frustration you know a lot of the western commentary or why is it taking so long there was frustration among the sappers that sort of very keen for me to understand quite how difficult this is you know they're having to fight for every centimeter and it is a slow laborious process i mean the gang of the sappers are the unit i i joined up with they're meant to be 30 strong actually they've got only got 13 left due to injury and death god and of those 13 only five were able to currently to to work so they have minimal resources they're on their hands and knees risking their lives uh, so I can imagine it is very annoying to hear Western commentators say well why hasn't this gone, gone quicker and further Coming up an exclusive interview with a Ukrainian general that leads to possibly the biggest news from this war in months Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds Recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation They said yes And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass So to recap we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Emma Graham Harrison, you're a senior international correspondent for The Guardian and Observer, and you've been in Ukraine for the past few weeks, where Dan's just told us that progress has been really slow and difficult. What have you been seeing and hearing there? Well, it's interesting because it has been very, very slow over the summer. You've seen terrible casualty rates, the front line's not really moving. 
But then we started hearing that perhaps some progress had been made. We saw some geolocated footage showing that Ukrainian troops appeared to have got through the front line. I mean, we're talking about a tiny distance, a matter of kilometers, but given they'd spent weeks really not moving at all, it seemed pretty significant. Mm. And then I got this very rare chance to sit down with the general who's commanding the Southern Offensive, Brigadier General Alexander Tarnavsky. So tell me about that general and, and what it's like to meet someone so senior in this war. I mean, I was actually quite nervous before the interview. It's, it's the first time I've met anybody this senior. And really, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but he felt very much like the man of the moment. I'm sure you understand for obvious reasons. I, I can't say where the interview took place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate it. We know how... He looks like a military man. He's quite stocky. There's not very much information about him out there on the internet. But he's also the man who led the operation to liberate Kherson last year. Okay. And so when you sat down with the general, what did he tell you about the state of the offensive? So... He actually started by thanking the UK. Um, he Obviously, he, he knew we were there from a British newspaper. So thanking the UK and, and British taxpayers specifically for their support of, of the Ukrainian military. And then he said something, you know, interesting, what we were sort of hoping to hear. He, he confirmed that the Ukrainians had captured this village of Robotne. And, and he told us that this was a really significant breakthrough. Now we are between the first and second line of defences. Okay, Robotny is just one village, but the fact that it was liberated is very big news. And it became big news around the world because it lays behind those Russian lines. It means they've broken through. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, I'm not a military strategist, but that's the whole thing about any defensive wall, right? If you breach it decisively in one place, the defensive wall becomes, well, if not useless, a lot less useful. Once you're inside, you can fight in a different way. And he described that. He said, you know, when, when they were trying to cross the minefields, the Russians could just sit there and shoot at them. Yeah, yeah it was very, very difficult because they, they did a lot of mines. And they said it was very difficult by armed vehicles, tanks uh, to uh, cross uh, this uh, area. Once they were through the minefield, they were in an area where Russians were also operating. So, of course, the land couldn't be completely mined. Some of it is mined, but the Russians needed roads and paths on which to operate. So, you know, potentially if they can consolidate and widen that breach and get through some more tanks and and armoured vehicles, it becomes a more equal fight. Mm. You know, the Ukrainians aren't facing such impossible odds against the Russians. And so what now lies ahead of the Ukrainian army? So I think we need to balance the optimism or the the hope that having breached this line... And how does it compare to the first line of defence? Is it more difficult, less difficult to to penetrate? He, He thought that the Russians believed they would never sort of see this day where they'd be fighting Ukrainians behind that sort of belt of minefields. Mm. So in that sense, it is great cause for optimism. However, you know, there are still two more lines of fortifications. 
yes, he thinks that more than half of Russia's effort went into that first defensive line. But, you know, Russia has got a lot of military resources. Those other two defensive lines are still pretty formidable. And there is only one breach. So I think he was very careful. You know, I asked how far he thought they could get, you know, the ultimate goal of this this counteroffensive was to try and push down to the coast of the Azov Sea so that there'd be a line of Ukrainians and, and particularly cutting off Russia from Crimea, from the land bridge to Crimea. And it sounds like this breach that you learned about has a huge military value. As of Wednesday, Ukrainian troops were fighting at that second defensive line, trying to break through it. But it also sounds like it has a symbolic value in terms of Ukraine being able to tell the West we can do this, back us, because we're making progress. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And I I think what's interesting is that we saw these criticisms of of Ukraine, their sort of failure to make progress, you know, increasing discontent in Western capitals. I I think once again, the Ukrainians have, have shown their allies that they are very grateful for all the help they're getting in tactics, in weaponry and all of that, but also that they're very formidable and effective fighters. Mm. I asked the general how far he thought they could get this year, and he definitely didn't want to be drawn on specifics. You know, we've seen progress is still very slow. I think the thing to focus on is that the Ukrainians are now making progress. They are moving forward, but it's still a very bloody war. They're still losing a lot of people. It's still very difficult fighting. But I think one thing is clear, as far as Ukraine is concerned, even if they don't get as far with this summer's counteroffensive as they hope to, they're going to keep on fighting mm. until they get their country back. Dan, Even if Ukraine is able to win this war sometime in the future, it sounds like it'll be dealing with the legacy of the war in the form of mines all over the country for many decades to come. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the previously occupied territories around Kyiv, the capital city, they're not being cleared of the mines and the Russians weren't there for that long, but they still planted a lot of mines and all sorts of creative way of it. They planted mines in pianos and around children's playgrounds and, and all the rest of it. Mm. Halo, the mind-clearing uh, charity, the one that was made famous by Princess Diana, of course, all those years ago, they say if there were 10,000 mind-clearers working in the country, it would take a decade to clear just what has been planted so far. There certainly aren't 10,000 mind-clearers currently in the country. There would be a few thousand at, at most. So, yeah, the legacy is going to be horrendous. Ukraine is also planting its own mines, and hopefully they've kept a very good detailed record. It is in their interest to have done so about where those mines are. But the Russians, can we really expect the Kremlin to hand over their mine maps and post-conflict? I don't think so. So, yeah, the legacy is, is going to be tough. And so what will that mean for civilians? Like, What about in these areas that Ukraine has managed to claim back? How have civilians tried to do things like farming, like rebuilding houses, knowing that there could be bombs anywhere they step? Life has to go on. And so unfortunately, civilians are being killed every day because of these mines. I mean, we have the regular sort of stories of farmers sort of going over mines on their tractors and and the rest of it. I know that farmers have sort of used 
remote tractors and try and drive over the mines and deal with them that way. One of the mines that you, you see the most out of the, the front line is butterfly mines. These little green things, you could hold them in your hand. They're very lightweight and they're distributed by air. Children have come across them and thought they're toys because they're these little plastic things. You, know, you can imagine a child would play with something like that. But unfortunately, the, the reality is they have a little explosive in them and it will take off take off a face, take off an arm, take off a leg. And so they are particularly horrible and yet seemingly kind of, you know, like with cute, they've got a cute nickname. But the reality is that for decades to come, I fear that there will be incidents where children stumble across one of these things and perish because of it. I mean, all of this makes me think that not only is this war scarring this generation of Ukrainians, but like generations to come in 20, 30, 40 years could still be touched by what's happening in the country today. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, that's the tragedy of it, that you see on the streets of Ukraine, people have come back without legs and, and, and the psychological impact. And when I was talking to the doctors at Dining Pro Hospital here, dealing with the troops, the injured soldiers, you know, they say one of the biggest thing, issues of minds is that the psychological impact, it really does mess with your head. The fact that one minute you were fine, you you had your legs, and then the next minute everything's changed and people don't get over it. It's very, very hard. Mm. So yes, we have generations to come are gonna are gonna face this. Well Dan, it's an absolutely appalling story, but I appreciate you coming and sharing it with us. My pleasure. And that was Daniel Boffy, The Guardian's chief reporter, whose coverage of mines in Ukraine you can find at our website. Thanks also to Emma Graham Harrison. Her scoop revealing the break in Russian lines is at theguardian.com. In other news from the war, yesterday Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, visited Moscow, where he told Vladimir Putin he supported what he called Russia's sacred mission to fight the West. Kim is widely expected to discuss supplying Russia with new arms and equipment for its war in Ukraine. And there's more coverage and analysis of that meeting at theguardian.com. Finally, for a break from all that, Shantae Joseph returns today with her hit podcast, Pop Culture, where she goes beyond celebrity gossip with smart takes on trends and internet culture. The series has already explored will AI ruin music as we know it? Is astrology changing our love lives? And now it's back with new guests and new trending pop and internet culture stories. It's called Pop Culture with Shantae Joseph and you can find it wherever you listen to Today in Focus. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury. The executive producer was Phil Maynard and we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.